Good morning, Love Chapel Hill. Welcome to another virtual service. We're so glad our church continues to be a leading force in keeping us and our community safe, even when it's so hard to be apart. Anyone else miss seeing your friends and family in person? Yeah, us too. We continue to pray that we will be able to meet together soon, but in the meantime, we're glad to be able to welcome you to this time of worship together. While a number of things have changed, like my hair for example, um, take heart and know that the truth of Jesus Christ and the love that we share together remain constant. David and I were really loving the Worship at the Well vibe last week, so we'd recommend pausing this video real quick and opening the nearest window to enjoy a bit of fresh air, or maybe even braving the heat to enjoy the rest of the day um, and the service outside. Go ahead, we'll wait. Okay, let's continue with our service. Love Chapel Hill, the church whose name is its mission. You don't know me, I'm J.D. Walt, I'm the sower in chief of Seedbed, but I know you. In fact, I knew you before you were you. I knew you when you were a dream and a vision. And it's such a blessing for me to see this vision being lived out these years later with Matt and Justin and the rest of uh, all of you all. So guys, I just want to encourage you to keep reading together. Thanks for reading the Seabed Daily Text, and uh, it's a joy to write it for you. Keep praying together. I'm so thrilled about the prayer room that you guys have got going on. It just is encouraging, and stuff is happening. Keep banding together. Guys, that is the, the knots of the net, and the church is nothing more than a collection, a strategic collection of well-tied knots. And finally, keep sewing together. You guys are doing the real thing down there. And it's a blessing to get to see it from the vantage point where I stand. I hope to get to be with you again sometime soon. Stay well. Sew for a great awakening. Amen.
things have passed away Your love has stayed the same Your constant grace remains the Yeah.
Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 11. Uh, Today we are in one of the most significant passages in all of scripture uh, and absolutely the centerpiece of this book of Philippians that we've been studying together. Uh, A little bit of context for where we've been making sure that we stay rooted in that landscape of scripture that we're in together. The book of Philippians is in the New Testament It's a letter that's written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi and the Christians gathered together there in Philippi. Paul is writing from a prison cell. He's been imprisoned by the Roman Empire for the sake of the gospel, for the cause of Christ. And uh, because of his efforts in uh, advancing the kingdom of God, he has been thrown into prison. So he's writing to them from this place of personal crisis that he is in and also writing into the crisis that they are facing as well. So this church is um, a really important church to him personally. He was a part of planting that church. Uh, We remember from the book of Acts that uh, it's this miraculous planting of this church that he was wanting to go in one direction because of his strategy um, and the methods that he had already seen proven. And so he wanted to continue with that same kind of strategy, but the Holy Spirit blocked him and wouldn't let him keep going in the direction that he was going. Redirected him. He ends up in Philippi. First, one of the first people that he meets there is Lydia, who's an influential entrepreneur, business leader there uh, in that city. Uh, She becomes a believer in Jesus. She hosts Paul and his companions in her home, and her home becomes this launching point for a church planting movement in Europe. And this is the first church that gets established in Europe. While Paul is in Philippi, he's thrown into prison uh, for the cause of the gospel. But Jesus miraculously sets him free from prison. There's this earthquake that the chains break. Uh, and uh, in the process of that, the jailer who was overseeing their imprisonment becomes a believer in Jesus as well. Not just the jailer, but his entire family are baptized into the family of God, into the kingdom of Jesus. So that's uh, the, the connection here that Paul is writing from imprisonment uh, to these people that he loves dearly. In the first chapter, he talks a lot about the affection that he has for them in Christ Jesus and this encouragement that he is giving to them. 
Uh, then he moves into this challenge for what it looks like to live in this narrow way that Jesus has carved out. And then we get to this point here in chapter two, that is the centerpiece of the entire letter. And we see that everything that Paul was writing before, all of this challenge that he was giving to them about what it looks like to live in the pattern of Christ, uh, of what it looks like to live out this reality of to live is Christ. Here in chapter two, verses five through 11, we see that everything he's been writing has been flowing into this. Everything he writes after this will flow out of it. It's the center of gravity for the whole letter. And you're going to understand why as we walk through this together. So chapter two, verses five through 11, one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. And if we've known each other for more than 30 minutes, then you've probably heard me reference this before. All right. Here's what Paul has to say. He begins there in verse five. Uh, talking about Jesus. And he says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. In other translations, it says, you should have the same mind as Christ. And what does that mind look like? What does the life of Jesus look like? Paul goes into this description of it, uh, starting with verse six. Then he says, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very likeness of a servant, taking on the very form and nature of a servant, being found in human likeness. He humbled himself even to the point of death, even to death on a cross. But God exalted him to the highest place, giving him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow on earth, under the earth, in heaven, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Absolutely stunning passage here, and it's stunning for several reasons, and it's, it's a significant passage for several reasons. Uh, one, one of the first things that you'll notice about this, um, different translations map this out differently. Um, but in a lot of translations, you'll see that it's formatted there in your Bible uh, in the form of poetry. And so scholars, as they've studied this, have recognized that this is intentional poetry. It's lyrical in the way that he lays this out. And so uh, it's often referred to as the Christ hymn. This, this hymn of worship to Jesus. Uh, sometimes uh, scholars think that maybe it was an early creed um, or this early collection of, of and distilling of Christian doctrine, of Christian theology around the nature of Jesus. And so scholars believe that this passage right here was used in early Christian worship, either confessing it as a creed of this is what we believe about the nature of Jesus and who Jesus is, or maybe they were singing this together like a hymn and like a song as part of their worship. It's stunning because of that. Right here in this passage, we get this glimpse into who the early church believed Jesus to be. And we get this glimpse into um, how they worshiped him. This is a piece of early Christian worship. It's significant because at this early stage of Christianity, uh, as Paul lays out here, he begins with saying that Jesus was in very nature God, but did not consider equality with God 
as something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. And so it tells us right from the start that the earliest Christians believed that Jesus was in fact fully God and fully human. This is a cornerstone piece of Christian theology. All of Christianity hangs on this belief that Jesus was not just a moral teacher, uh, was not just a revolutionary leader, was not just a good person worth following and imitating, but that he is in very nature God. He is God himself who takes on flesh to live among us, to rescue us. God himself, the author of all things, who steps into the story, takes on the lead role and leads us into salvation. So significant. The way he words this is that he is in very nature God, in very nature God. And it tells us that Paul believes and that the early Christians believe that Jesus was pre-existent, that uh, Jesus is not created, he is uncreated. As the Nicene Creed says, true God from true God, okay? That he is in nature God, very nature God. This is significant. Uh, the way that Paul lays out this pattern of the life of Jesus is really important because it gives us this full scope of who Jesus is. A lot of times in our Christian worship and in the way that we talk about Jesus, in the way that we express our belief around Jesus, we focus in mostly on the crucifixion and the resurrection. And that is, of course, crucial. Uh, that is the turning point of the whole story, but that isn't the whole story by itself. And so Paul shows us in this creed, in this hymn, in this song, he gives us this full scope of the life of Jesus. And he says, it's not just about the crucifixion and the resurrection, but you can't make sense of the crucifixion unless you walk that story backwards and you look at the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus and the miraculous, mysterious incarnation of Jesus. And you go even before that to the preexistent uh, reality of who Jesus is, that Jesus is God who became one of us, found in human likeness, humbled himself to that even to the point of death, even to death on the cross. And you can't just stop at the resurrection either, Paul is telling us. It goes beyond the resurrection as well. Because if we stop at the resurrection, then, then what is our concept of where Jesus is now? What does that mean for us now? The story doesn't just stop at the resurrection. It continues on beyond that as well. And so uh, it tells us, the word tells us that Jesus then spent 40 days after his resurrection, he, he spent 40 days with his disciples, with his followers, teaching them about the kingdom of God. And after those 40 days, he ascended into heaven where he still sits at the right hand of the father, where he reigns, reclaiming the crown and throne. He reigns. He is on the throne. He is the king. And from that place of kingship, from that throne, from that crown, he is returning to set all things right. Paul gives us that full scope of the reality and the nature of who Jesus is in this passage. And it's so significant. This passage is not only significant theologically, but historically as well. Uh, skeptics will point to this doctrine of Christ's divinity, that Jesus is fully God and fully human. And they will claim 
that the earliest Christians did not actually believe that, that the earliest followers of Jesus didn't see him as God. They saw him as a significant uh, moral teacher uh, or a significant spiritual leader, but not as God in the flesh. One of the things that they'll point to is this. Uh, the first of the Gospels to be written down is the Gospel of Mark. Most scholars will agree on that, and most of them will place the writing somewhere around 70 A.D. The last of the Gospels to be written down is the Gospel of John, and they will place that around 90 A.D. And there's general agreement on that. Matthew and Luke are both written in between there, and they both uh, draw very heavily on Mark. Uh, John is coming from a different perspective, from a different view, and is generally believed to be the last of the Gospels written down, placed around 90 AD. Skeptics will then look at the Christology that's developed in the Gospel of Mark and what Mark has to say about this doctrine of Jesus being God. They'll compare that to the Christology that we find in the Gospel of John, this, this theory that Jesus is God in the flesh. And what they'll see is a progression and they'll see a growth over those 20 years. Uh, the Gospel of John begins as we often come back to and refer to together in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. So clear in its Christology and this sense of Jesus being in very nature God. They will compare that to Mark. Uh, in 70 AD, and they will say that they can see a progression and a growth. And they'll say that this theory that Jesus was God is a mythology that builds up around this significant figure and around this character over time. And they, can, they think that they can mark the growth of that. But here's the thing. The Gospels weren't actually the first uh, books to be written down, the first New Testament books to be written down. There are some books in the New Testament that are dated earlier than any of the Gospels, and those are the letters of Paul, and Philippians being one of those letters. Scholars place the writing of Philippians somewhere around 50 to 60 A.D., so we're talking 10 to 20 years before the writing of the first gospel, 40 to 30 years before the writing of the last gospel. And so when they say that they can see this progression from Mark to John, what we actually need to do is trace it all the way back to Paul. What did Paul have to say? If he's writing the earliest books and these earliest letters that form that theology of Christianity, what did he have to say about who Jesus is? And right here in Philippians chapter 2, we have this beautiful description of the nature of Jesus being in very nature God, equality with God. If you compare Philippians chapter 2 with John chapter 1, you will see that John in his description of the divinity of Jesus doesn't take one single step further than Paul has already taken in Philippians chapter two. And the way that we get this Philippians two laid out, it's, it's given to us in this poetic form that makes scholars think that it was a, a creed or a song 
That was a significant part of early Christian worship. And so from the earliest days, Christians understood who Jesus was, who Jesus is, who Jesus will always be. In very nature, God, who did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking on the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness, humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. But God raised him to the highest place, gave him the name that was above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow on earth, under the earth, in the heavens. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this passage is significant from a theological perspective. It's significant from a historical perspective but it's also significant from a very practical perspective as well. What Paul gives us in this passage is a description of the pattern of what it looks like to live out that statement that we've been talking about that he makes in chapter one, to live is Christ. To live is Christ. And we've been wrestling with the meaning and the mystery and that mystical nature of that kind of life. What does it look like? We understand what it looks like to live for Christ, to live with Christ, to live in Christ, to live by Christ. But what does it mean when he says to live is Christ? This is what he means. He draws for us a picture of the pattern of the life of Jesus and invites us into that. It's very practical for us. And so I wanna challenge you to memorize this passage, not just memorize it, but internalize it and allow the Holy Spirit to use this description, this picture, this image of the pattern of Jesus to check you at times and to prompt you at times, all right? There will be moments if you will memorize this, let it run through your mind until it sinks into your heart and works its way through your soul and all of who you are and out of your life. There will be moments in your life where the Holy Spirit will bring the lyrics, the words of this creed and this poem back to mind for you and will use this to shape in you the mind of Christ, which will shape in you the heart of Christ, which will shape in you the life of Christ. There will be moments in your life where he will check you. You're about to make a decision. You're about to say something. You're about to take an action. And he will check you with this. And he will hold this up as an image and say, does it look like this? What you're about to do, does it look like this? There will be other moments where he prompts you. He gives you a push with this pattern that he's laying out. There will be things that you know he's prompting you to do, this, this tug and this push in you, but you will be afraid to do it. Or you'll have a thousand reasons of why it doesn't make any sense for you to do it. And the Holy Spirit will use this image and this pattern and this picture to prompt you and say, I'm inviting you into this kind of life. And so it becomes actually this very practical thing for us. It's deeply theological. It's significant from this historical perspective, but it's also significant for us practically. So as we've said many times today, Philippians chapter two, five through 11, an early creed, uh, an early poem, an early hymn of the church. 
And I could just imagine the early Christians gathering together, reciting this together, confessing this together, maybe even singing this together in worship of Jesus. And so uh, a few of us uh, have gotten together and have put together some words and, and, and put these words to music with the thought of recapturing this as a hymn for the church. And so we're going to close out together uh, with, a, with a hymn that was written out of this church community, uh, out of your church family. And we're going to share in this together as Gilson and Maggie uh, lead us in this Christ hymn. Hill. This is Shaquilla. I just wanted to say hello from Japan and I miss you all.
Hi guys, my name is Jenna. Um, I'm a recent UNC alumnus and I've been a part of the love community for about three years or so and it's been amazing. Um, and I just wanted to say a special welcome to anyone who's new here or anyone who is tuning into our videos for the first time. So welcome. And I also want to invite everyone to fill out a connect card. These connect cards are so important because they allow us to learn more about you, um, learn more about how to connect with you and most importantly, how we can pray for you or how God has been acting in your lives recently, which is awesome. And the links to those can be found in the Facebook or YouTube postings. So you can find them there. Again, fill them out. It's really important and really cool. Um, and I hope you all enjoy and a happy Sunday. And I'm going to pass it on to Zamir. Welcome, Love Chapel Hill. My name is Zamir McCutcheon. I just want to welcome you guys this morning to Love Chapel Hill. I just hope you guys are enjoying today's service. It has been amazing. I just want to say thank you to each and every one of you guys. And also, too, I just want to say if anybody needs help with groceries, pharmacy pickup, um, if anybody needs help with prayer, needs somebody to talk to, or being directly affected by COVID-19, please reach and please go to lovechapelhill.com and let us know and we would be gladly able to help you guys. Also, too, or you can read email miracles at lovechapelhill.com. Thank you guys for joining. I hope you enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Now we'll pass it off to Tinley so she can go ahead and tell you guys about ways to grow and connect. Thank you. Good morning, Love Chapel Hill. So good to see you this morning. My name is Tenley. Uh, if we have not met before, then I apologize that we are meeting like this. And I look forward to when we are back to normalcy and I can meet you in person. It's going to be awesome. Can't wait. So I just want to tell you about some opportunities right now uh, to connect with one another and to grow together as a body of Christ. So you can go to our website, lovechapelhill.com, and under the COVID-19 drop-down menu, you're going to see information regarding prayer, bands, and Bible study. Uh, so if you want to be a part of Bible study, that's Tuesday nights at 7 p.m., and we've got information on that Zoom call. We're in the book of Psalms for this Bible study. Uh, bands are small groups of three to five people, and the focus of the band is to grow together in discipleship, just gathering together, reading scripture, worshiping, and just bonding and connecting during this difficult time um, when it would really be good to have that support system. I think most of us are probably experiencing that need. And then prayer. If you feel like you have an area of your life you want covered in prayer or you want prayer for someone else, you can also submit a prayer request or a request to be connected with somebody where you can be praying for one another. Um, so those are just a couple ways that we can be connecting and growing together during this difficult time. And I want to personally encourage you, if you have not checked out Bible study, please join and show up. It's a really cool opportunity. Uh, if you don't feel like you really want to contribute to the conversation or you're a little shy or it's new to you, it's weird, I just encourage you to show up introduce yourself, and you can just listen and observe. Um, the Book of Psalms are unique in that I think that they can appeal to just about anybody in any stage of life, and especially now they feel very relevant in that the Psalms really focus on um, the good and the bad that life, you know, throws at us. And during pandemic, where we're experiencing a lot of tragedy, but then at the same time, a lot of blessing. Well, that's exactly what we see in the Psalms. We see opportunities to worship and to praise and to celebrate um, God and his blessings. And then we see times to mourn, um, times of loss, times of extreme 
um, struggle and, and difficulty. So I just want you to um, really consider joining Bible study, even for, for one night, I think. You would definitely leave feeling um, just gratified, knowing that there are people that are going to be praying for you in our church, um, people that love you, people that want to hear what you're going through, um, and just connect with you through scripture. So without further ado, I'm going to pass this on to Joel, who's going to close us out. Thank you, Tinley, and thank you, announcement team. You guys did such a wonderful job uh, stepping up and joining our videos. I want to thank everyone that has been a part of our videos. In doing so, we have uh, been able to reach so many different people. It blesses so many others to see the different faces from our church. Uh, I want to ask you, maybe you're thinking, uh, when is it my turn? Well, if you're thinking that, we'd love to have you. Uh, if you're interested in joining one of our videos or you have an idea that you'd love to present that we can do, please share that with me. Uh, I'd love to get you connected and we'll get you helping out. Uh, also, last week, I uh, brought up that we are looking for people that have the talent or know someone that has the talent to make cloth masks. Well, in this time, uh, we would love to love people in the most relevant way we can, and that is by providing cloth masks to those that need it. What we are going to do, we are going to supply, uh, we're going to put a station up on Franklin Street, probably in front of the varsity, uh, where people can take a mask if they need one. Uh, with things reopening, uh, businesses are going to have more employees that are going to need these masks to be able to do their job. We'd love to love them in that way, that, that they can take that mask and they can use that uh, if they need that. Plus, anybody else that's walking down the street that may need a mask that can, can either not make one themselves or purchase one. We would love to be able to love in that way. So if you're interested in joining uh, the cloth mask making team, I'd love for you to email me at joel, J-O-E-L, dot philbrook, P-H-I-L-B-R-O-O-K, at lovechapelhill.com, and we'll get you get hooked up with the other couple people that signed up. I love that people are wanting to love and the great talents that God has given them. Also, uh, lastly, uh, man, that was such an amazing message by Pastor Matt today. And also that wonderful song by Maggie and Gilson. I absolutely loved it. Uh, in response to that, I want to challenge us. I love giving challenges. And uh, this week, I want to ask you, what is the song in your heart? What is the thing that God is stirring within you? Now, uh, you may be like me and you can't sing worth a lick, so I'm not necessarily talking about writing and singing a song, but it is an act of worship. And what a worship is, is an act of worship is giving something to God from yourself. And that may be done in many different ways. So here's the challenge. I want to challenge you to find a passage of scripture or maybe a biblical story, something that's speaking to you right now. Maybe it's something you've been reading for the last few weeks. Maybe it's something brand new. Take this and this week very intentionally meditate upon it. Maybe there's some ways that you can, uh, you get up in the morning, you read it right away and you read it before you go to bed. Maybe you write it down every day. Something to keep reminding you and putting that inside your heart. Then take that and pray about that. Allow the Holy Spirit to see how that molds within you. Maybe that's in a form of if you are talented enough to write a song or to sing or to play music, you can profess it or, or produce it in that way. Maybe it's by uh, drawing a picture or painting if that's your talent. 
Or maybe you're like me and you can't do any of that. But what we can do is maybe write our thoughts down in a special notebook with paper and pen and literally write out what you think God is trying to speak to you in that moment and save that and keep that with you. You never know, down the road, these, these creations, these things that God has put inside of you, how that may speak to you. This may even be the most meaningful thing you do all week long. So I wanna challenge you to step into that, to go deeper, to go longer. In this time where everything seems up in the air, we have so many questions, we need to rely and seek our creator and seek his creativity within us. So I wanna close real quick with a quick prayer that God will put that song in our heart. Lord Jesus, Lord, we come before you of people needing help and needing answers. But I wanna ask you right now, Lord, to put a song within our heart, Lord. Speak to us, stir within us. Let it produce in ways that your creative power, the very creative power that created this whole world, Lord, that you put it within us, your Holy Spirit to speak out from us, Lord. So put that song in our hearts, stir within us. Let something that we can give back to you within worship. Let us get in touch with you, connect with you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much for coming by this week, watching this video. We're going to do another one next week. Hope to see you then. Have a great day.